Hello, CCV. We have been in a series where we've been looking at advice that you would give knowing what you know now. If we were to go back in the past and share some advice that would have maybe saved us some time, some money, some embarrassment, some pain back then, what would it be that we would say to our future self? And part of my letters from my, my future self would include a lengthy section on think before you speak. Now, I know my parents taught me that. I, I, I realize that. But I, I don't know if I wasn't listening or if somehow I just didn't catch that. But that's what, what I think that I would have really, really needed to, to OD on was a, a lesson on thinking before I speak. My mind is drawn to what happened at my 10-year high school reunion. And you know, those are a little bit awkward uh, anyway, aren't they? You, you walk in, I have my, my wife with me who wasn't from that high school and didn't know anyone, and so I'm trying to make small talk with people, and, and while I do that, I, I introduce her to my friend Frank, and Frank introduces us to his wife. And we get talking for a few minutes, and then there's a, a lull in the conversation. Just kind of that awkward silence, right? Well, I'm a very outgoing, extroverted guy. And so when there's that lull in the conversation, I, I just kind of want to jump in. And so without thinking before I spoke, I tried to involve Frank's wife in the conversation. And I looked at her and I said, I see you're expecting. When is your baby due? Yeah. <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, I'm not pregnant. And I said, are you sure? No, 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 I didn't say that. I thought it, but I didn't say that, all right? It's tough to say anything when you have a, a, a foot or a shoe that's sticking out of your mouth, right? And so I tried to play it off. Trust me, there is no way to play that off, right? But here's the only good news is if you have done that once in your life, you will never do it again. I'm telling you what, it could be a woman who is pregnant with twins and is two weeks overdue, I'm not going to bite. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, I am not going to say, I'm just going to say, so what's new, right? <laughs> you, you don't take the chance. But I wish I would have heard that message. Think before you speak. If you had the opportunity to tip off your younger self, if you could pen words that could rewrite your past, what would you say? What warnings or advice would you offer to your future self? And one of the encouragements that I would give to myself is please forgive. Please forgive. Now, on your way in, you, you received a, a rock as you came in at every one of our campuses. And uh, I, I, I know what you're thinking that, you know, oh, this, is, this represents Dave Stone. I, I know what you're thinking, right? <laughs> no, this is not a, a branding ploy gone wrong. All right, I promise you that. And some of you are, I know you're curious, do we get to throw these at you? No, you don't. You don't get to throw them at me unless you're at another campus, all right? Uh, but take a look at that rock that you have. Hold, hold it in your hand, feel it. And I want you to think of this rock as a representation because sometimes people use these as, as a weapon when they have been wronged. It, it's a way to get even. These are, these are rocks of retaliation. Let me, let me tell you a story. Maybe you've heard it. It involves a, a half-dressed woman, uh, a group of men, some rocks, and a man named Jesus. 
It's recorded for us in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And it's a time when Jesus could have condemned a person, but instead he extended grace and forgiveness. And it was early in the morning, and, and, and Jesus is already teaching the temple courts, and the crowd is listening, and he, hanging on his every word. But there's an, an interruption. No, no doubt the, the men who burst on the scene each came carrying one of these with them. And pick up the story in John chapter 8. We'll start with verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses were commanded to stone such women. Now what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Notice that she was caught in the act of adultery, but they, they didn't bring the man. They just brought the woman, which tells you something about their agenda. Also, it also reeks of something that was a setup, and it was all set just to trap Jesus. You see, here's the trap. If, if Jesus says, oh, no, you shouldn't stone her, that would be terrible. Well, then he is usurping the authority of Moses and saying that he's greater than Moses. But if he says, oh, yeah, go ahead, start throwing rocks and make certain that I get a few too. I want to get in on the action. Well, then they're going to say, wait a second, you're the guy who's been teaching and preaching on love and, and kindness, and yet you're willing to do this? And so they thought they had him. They thought they had him trapped. Look at, at verse 6 as we pick it up. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and, and said to them, let any of you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So Jesus allows time to take place for these men to convict themselves. And John tells us that that those who had been around the block for a while and had a little bit more experience, well, those people were the first ones to leave because they were a little bit wiser. Max Lucado says it like this. He says, they left from the grayest beard to the blackest beard, dropping their rocks of righteousness, intended to stone the lust out of her life. That was their agenda. But they left We pick it up in John chapter 10, excuse me, John 8 verse 10. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So Jesus, the son of God, is is the visible and physical manifestation and representation of God the Father in heaven. And so John 8 gives a picture of how Jesus is the perfect embodiment of both grace and truth. And we see the the grace shown as he says, then neither do I condemn you. We hear the truth as he says, go now and leave your life of sin. He doesn't condone the sin, nor does he condemn the sinner. And the only one without sin had every right to start throwing stones but he chose forgiveness over judgment. I mentioned earlier that that when you 
came into church at every one of our campuses, you, you were given a rock. But my guess is that a lot of us arrived at church already carrying a rock. And maybe you've had it in your possession ever since your boss let you go without cause. Ever since that spouse had that affair. Ever since that neighbor began to ostracize you. And you just kind of carry these around. Maybe it was a coworker who stole an idea from you and took the credit for it. Maybe it was a classmate who cheated off of you and you were the one who got in trouble. Maybe it was an uncle that did something to you at a very young age and you still suffer from the emotional pain of what he did. But you still carry these rocks and you find security and satisfaction in, in holding someone hostage over the hurts that they've inflicted. And the rock goes wherever you go. Hey, I, I, I understand. I mean, I, I really do. I, I, there's no, no judgment here. But how long are you going to carry them? I mean, how, how long will they go everywhere that you go? How much time will you waste? So let's talk a little bit about forgiveness. And I want to give you three challenges today. Here's the first challenge. Forgiveness. Believe it. That's the starting point, is, is that this is, is real. It's, it's not a pipe dream. This is not wishful thinking. It's truly possible. It, it is the foundation of this message that you believe that forgiveness is available for you. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So if, if we confess what we've done to him, He's faithful. He'll forgive us. He will purify us. Remember back in the Old Testament, King David? King David from the, the top of his palace, from his rooftop balcony that he had, he, he could see all sorts of things from there. It was the highest point in all the area. He was aware of when it was that the, the women had put their kids to bed, and so that would be their bathing time. And David had quite a view and one day he, he saw a beautiful woman and he had his servants bring her to him. Didn't matter that she was married, didn't matter that he was married. And after months of trying to hide his sin of lust and adultery and deceit and murder, he finally comes clean and confesses and repents of what he's done. And he gives us a peek into his prayer journal as he walks through the, the depth of his appeal to God. And in Psalm chapter 51, in verses 1 through 4, this is what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. And so it's this picture of true repentance, of a change in direction, of taking ownership of the sin. And David requests, he begs God to for, forgive him. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow leads to death. David has a godly sorrow. This is real. This is genuine. 
That's why he writes later in the Psalms, in Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12, he says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Get this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know, it's really cool. Is he, he could have said, you know, as, as far as the north is from the south, that's how far God has, has taken away my sin. But 1,000 B.C., and God tells him to write as far as the east is from the west. Here's the significance of that. You can head south, and pretty soon you'll start heading north, just because that's, we have a north pole and a south pole. But if you start heading east, you can head east for infinity. You can head west forever and ever and continue to circle the globe. And God says, I will take your sin and I will banish it as far as the east is from the west. In other words, it's gonna be out of my sight and God's got some pretty good eyesight. Now there may be earthly consequences or legal penalties for your sin, for what's taken place, but if you have given your life to Jesus Christ and you sincerely repent of your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you of that sin. Forgiveness, believe it. Secondly, forgiveness, extend it. Throughout the scripture, we are commanded to forgive others. Paul gives us good reason to do so. In Colossians chapter three, verse 13, he says, bear with each other, forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. Now, I'm not trying to minimize your pain. I'm not trying to discount the hurt that you've experienced. Maybe you've been bullied through the years. Perhaps you've been falsely accused of something. Maybe you, you got ripped off in a dishonest sales deal. Maybe you were hurt by a pastor. Perhaps a drunk driver took the life of a loved one. And some occasions and some actions seem like they really do deserve a good stoning or at least a, a pretty heavy pelting. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, we don't talk about this verse a whole lot. Jesus said, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, we try to add qualifiers to that and say, well, you know, I, I don't think that Jesus literally meant it that way, that we have to forgive everybody of everything that they've ever done. And so we put qualifiers out there in our own mind. We say, well, as long as it's not a big sin against us. Yeah, that's what he means. Or, well, we need to forgive if, if the person asks us for forgiveness. But if they don't ask for forgiveness, then I'm, I'm ready for action. Or we need to forgive if it's been five or, or ten years that has passed. After all, they deserve my anger and, and my hatred for some amount of time. Now, I know some of the situations that some of you are in. And I cannot imagine how difficult it would be to offer forgiveness because forgiveness means releasing my rights to retaliate. That's what it means. It means taking away your weapon. It means that I, I, I can't use that against you. And yet Satan loves to use unforgiveness and bitterness to his advantage because the longer he can get you to hold on to that rock, the more difficult it becomes to let go. And you think you're holding the other person hostage. 
But that's not what takes place. Just the opposite occurs. It's like being imprisoned and we live behind the bars of our bitterness. You see, you are the only one who can make bitterness grow in your life. And you are the only one who can choke it out and allow joy to grow instead. And the root of bitterness only grows when watered by the moisture of your memory and then fertilized by our failure to forgive. You can't force reconciliation. Some of you know that. And while I've been talking, you've, you've wanted to yell back to me, Dave, you don't know how difficult my brother is. You don't know about my neighbor. My neighbor is mad at the entire world. You don't know about her. Her false piety and her condescending spirit has wrought havoc in our family tree. Maybe that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, he says, if it is possible, as far as it is possible, live at peace with everyone. Did you hear the disclaimer? I, I actually highlighted it so we wouldn't miss it. As far as it is possible. God knows that there are some people who are just really difficult to be with. And so he, he suggests you do the very best you possibly can to reconcile and be in a right relationship with them. Do your part. And you can still forgive that person in your hearts. And you can reject the impulse for revenge. Maybe you have the right. Maybe you have the power to get even. But forgiveness releases my right to hurt you back. And if there is to be any punishment administered, leave that in the hands of God, the perfect judge. We want to get to the point that when we are wronged, we say, Lord, I, I leave this up to you. It, it's in your hands. If they've done wrong according to you, then, then you make certain that, that you take care of that. And rather than seeking revenge and taking matters into our own hands, we trust him. Some of you remember back in early 2002, General Norman Schwarzkopf. He was asked one time, he said, didn't he think there was room for forgiveness toward Osama bin Laden? And his answer was classic Schwarzkopf. He said, I believe that forgiving him is God's function. Our job is to simply arrange the meeting. <laughs> and sometimes that's how we approach those who have wronged us. We, we want that revenge. Romans 12, 19 says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Well, forgiveness, believe it, extend it, and finally, accept it. Accept God's forgiveness. You know, the, the woman caught in the act of adultery, she... She may have deserved these rocks. And King David, King David with his adultery and what happened after that, the death of Uriah, I mean, he, he deserved these. And you know what? We do too. Romans chapter six, verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. You know, it might be for that despicable act or that decadent moment in our life. It might be for that self-righteous or arrogant spirit that we possess. But we deserve these rocks too. And David wrote the majority of the Psalms and we learned that he tried to cover up his sin and that for months 
He didn't repent and that he tried to gloss over and cover up his adulterous relationship and Bathsheba's pregnancy. He says in the Psalms that during that time of concealing his sin, he says, I was wasting away. That's what happens when we don't confess our sin or, or we take steps that keep us going in the same direction rather than changing directions. And in the very next verse in Psalm 32, verse 5, David writes, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. God didn't just forgive the sin. God does one better than that. God even forgives the guilt of the sin. Pastor David Jeremiah points out that there are four different words for, for sin that David uses in this one verse. And each Hebrew word that he chose describes one of the specific ways in which he sinned. It's this honest vulnerability that he shares with us. The first word that he has there for sin, it's an archery term. It, it, it means to, to miss the mark. It means, in other words, you come up a little bit short. That's why Paul says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It missed the mark. The second word that he uses there for sin is the word iniquity. And the word that he, he chose in the Hebrew, it's, it's a word for perversion. I guess it's a kind of perversion that would be like a thousand BC pornography. It would be a king going out on his balcony just at the time when all of the women are bathing. And there's something perverted and there's something that is distorted and isn't right. The third word is the, is the word transgression. And that word transgression, it means a defiant disobedience to the Lord. And that's exactly the way that David acted and he calls himself on it. The last one, we see the word sin again in English, but actually in the Hebrew, it was a very different word than the other three. It was a word that meant deceit. It meant self-trickery. It was fooling yourself into thinking something was right when you know that it's wrong. Why such an honest and detailed description of what David had done? Why would he write that about himself? I think it's because he wanted you to know there's nothing that you could do that would cause God not to forgive your sin. There's nothing. Think of it like this. You say, well, Dave, what about uh, the sin of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit? That's the unforgivable sin. What about that? Well, that's not a one-time action. That's not, that's not a moment in time. Instead, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is a lifestyle of rejection, of continually rejecting Jesus Christ and saying, I want no part of him until finally you reach the point of no return. And God is the only one who knows when a person has reached that point. And so if you're willing to come to Jesus, trust me, you haven't blasphemed against the Holy Spirit because you haven't gone that far or you would never want to come back to him. Any sin you've committed, God can forgive you of it if you confess it and if you repent of it. Sam Houston was the first president of the Republic of Texas I've heard that he was a rather nasty fellow with a rather sordid past. And later in life, he made a, a, a commitment to Jesus Christ and he was baptized in a river. And when he came up out of the water, the preacher said to him, Sam, your sins are washed away. And Sam Houston replied, God help the fish. 
And he's got the right idea, right? Leave all of those sins, your past, your present, your future, leave them all there in the baptistry, in, in, in the swimming pool, in the river, and walk with Christ and walk in the light and confidence of his forgiveness. Some of you think that God can forgive everyone else's sins, but not yours. And what you did 20 years ago, or 20 days ago, you just say, I don't, I don't think God can forgive that. And yet, you see God as an angry God. And you see him up in heaven, and he's watching everything that you do, and he's got his rocks of righteousness right there in his hands, and he can't wait for you to mess up. But the picture that we have of God is shown to us through Jesus, and he didn't throw the rocks. He had men drop the rocks. And so whatever you've done, David wants to make certain that it's clear to you that God can forgive it. The sin of missing the mark. The sin of perversion. The sin of defiant disobedience. The last sin. The sin of deceit. Of fooling yourself. Of saying, hey, it's all okay. Everybody does it. And you fool yourself into thinking. It's all right. You probably know John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. But you know what the next verse goes on to say? Verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. You say, well, Dave, I've, I've done some pretty bad things. So have I. You see, I've done some really bad things. So have I. Someone said the nature of your sin is not the issue. The nature of God is the issue. And his nature is for the two of you to be reconciled, to be in a right relationship with one another, made possible by the one who has directly paid for your sin and taken the punishment that you deserved. And I know that some of you, you're, you're still hung up on what I talked about just a few minutes ago of extending that forgiveness to someone else and your mind is back there because you, you just can't bring yourself to release that rock. You've held on to it for so long. Your grip is, is, is so tight. I, I, I know how you feel. Such was the case for me about 18 months ago. When, when someone hurts me, I, I, I'll get over it. But when you hurt one of my kids, that's when it gets personal. And I had someone in my life who hurt a very close family member of mine. And upon learning of that, my anger just gradually built and my inner resentment became all-consuming. And I wanted bad things to happen to this person. I wanted some type of revenge. You know, Jesus says, if you hate someone, you've already committed murder in your heart. And so from God's viewpoint, mentally, I had committed murder in my mind many times. And I was consumed with that. And that's not, not a good place to be, 
to have that in your mind and to have that in your heart. And so I started praying for this individual and over time God started to do a work in my life and God revealed to me the multiplicity of my own sins. And several months ago, we set up a time and I got to sit down with this guy in person and through the course of conversation, at one point I just, I said, I've gone through a range of emotions about all this. I said, I really do mean it when I say that I forgive you. I said, it's been quite a lengthy process. Now, I don't know if he needed to hear me say that, but I needed to say it. And when we finished our conversation, I got up from my seat and we walked out of that room and it's tough to explain, but I felt free. I felt lighter. And you know why. Because I dropped the rock instead of throwing the rock. And I had been carrying that rock for 14 months. Someone said bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And that's right, it just eats you up inside. And I know in order for my sins to be forgiven, I know I needed to do it. But to be real honest with you, the greatest motivation, what really drove me to forgiveness was my own sins and my own knowledge of all the crud that God has ever forgiven me of. And if you are not the worst sinner that you know, then perhaps you're not being honest. Now, that would be a great place to kind of stop the story is it, it kind of ties everything together and it's all good and it's got a nice ending. But since then, in the past few months, there, there are fresh wounds. And I find myself picking the rock back up again. And what I've learned is if I pick that rock back up again, I better not hold on to it very long. Because the longer I hold it, the tougher it is for me to drop it. Henry Cloud said, control the things you can control. And the things you can't, surrender them to God. You know, life's too short to let someone else's past behavior mess up your life and affect your present and future. Let go of that injustice. Don't, don't waste the time you have waiting for time to pass. Take some steps to try to heal a fractured relationship or to extend the same forgiveness that you've received onto others who have wronged you. Your, your vertical relationship with God is weakened when your horizontal relationships are strained. But when this relationship and these relationships are right and they're in sync, they paint a picture of the cross. And that's the greatest picture of redemption that we can imagine. Today I want you to listen to a song. And the lyrics would be good to send to your younger self. And as you listen to this song, I want you to reflect on what we've talked about today. I want you to think about people that are swimming through your mind right now. That, that maybe you need to drop the rock and just extend forgiveness and then after that song is over, I'm going to come back and I'm, I'm going to explain to you how we're going to close out with these rocks. Listen to these words.
should know If you've done everything right Is it the love you have at hand Or the hand you hold at night How do you know If it was worth it in the end Did every second really count Or were there some you shouldn't spend On anything but anyone you love Was this a life that you were dreaming of Movie night, a yellow light You're slowing down and eyes are adding up Don't waste the time you have Waiting for time to pass It's only a lifetime, it's only a while It's not worth the anger you had as a child Don't waste the time time to pass It's only a lifetime It's not long enough You're not gonna like it without any love So don't waste it I'm unimpressed By the people Preaching pain For the sake of Some small gain In the sake of Someone's name I'm unprepared For my loved ones To be gone I call them way too Often now Worry way too much About mom Don't waste the time you have Waiting for time to pass It's only a lifetime, it's only a while It's not worth the anger you felt as a child Don't waste the time you have Waiting for time to pass It's only a lifetime Enough. You're not gonna like it without any love So don't waste it It's family and friends and that's the truth Fountain doesn't give you back your youth. Staying up too late at night and laughing under kitchen lights so hard you start to cry. Don't waste the time you have waiting for time to pass. It's only a lifetime, it's not long enough. You're not gonna like it. Without any love, so don't waste it. Ah, 
Don't waste the time. I, I know that there's a lot of thoughts that are going through your mind right now, but who, who do you need to forgive? I don't know who that might be in your life. It, it may be someone who's done something to you and wronged you in some way, and, and you've been holding on to this rock for a long time. Maybe today you drop the rock for that individual and you, and you move on. Maybe for some of you, you need to forgive God. Oh, it's not that God sinned or God did something wrong. That's not what I mean. But you've had a grudge against him because he is all powerful and yet he didn't intervene when he had the opportunity when you needed him most. And that person passed away or that didn't come to fruition you thought the way that it should have and so you blame God. Maybe today's a day that you just call, call that off and, and you drop the rock for him. For many of you, I wonder if the person that you need to forgive is yourself. Because you, you believe that God can forgive all these other good folks, but not that spring break, not that abortion, not that lie that you told, not the breach of integrity that made you so much money, all those different things that you know about. Can you just believe what we talked about today, what God's word says, that as far as the east is from the west, and be willing to drop that rock and forgive yourself? At every one of our campuses, uh, as you leave today, there's a, there are bins, there are buckets that are there, and we're gonna leave a little bit differently. We're gonna leave in silence, and there won't be any music playing, there won't be anybody talking, and the only sound that you're going to hear will be rocks falling in those buckets. And every rock has a story. And when you drop that rock, what you are saying, make certain you understand, is you are releasing your right to retaliate. And it is a freeing sound to hear that because you, you know that you've turned this over. This is a visible expression of that to God. You know, there was a moment when you came into church and you were finding your seat and you had two things in your hand. You remember that? You had a rock and you had communion. And that's a choice that you have before you. Jesus has already taken those rocks. He's taken that beating on behalf of us. He died on a cross and his blood covers over our sins. If, if we choose that, or we can continue to choose the rock, the rock of righteousness intended for someone else. So on your way out, if you're ready to release that and really release it, then just drop the rock in. And don't say a word, just, just, just drop it in. But if you're not ready to do that, I don't want to manipulate this. I don't want to force you. I don't want to make you feel guilty if you don't do that. But just take that rock with you. And hold on to it and, and may this serve as a reminder for you uh, of all that God has done in your life and how he has released the rock in your life. Someone said we look most like animals when we kill. We look most like humans when we judge. But we look most like God when we forgive. Let's pray. Lord, your word tells us in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, that, that you take our sin and you remember it no more. 
And it's hard for us to comprehend that an all-knowing God with all wisdom can have a graciously forgetful memory when it comes to our sins. And yet that's what you tell us. So will you help us to believe in that forgiveness and to accept it? And now, Lord, may we extend it to others or to you or to ourselves as we drop the rock. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may take your rock and you are dismissed in silence.